Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We hope you guys are having a great week. We are bringing to you all our monthly community connection show. We have some great stories and questions to share with you. So why don't you all sit back and pour yourself a cup of tea or an ice cold cup of sweet tea since it's very hot where we are right now. And listen in as we share some questions that you all have sent us. Denise, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with the first one. I think that's great because we have quite a few to, to hopefully get to today. So that would be fabulous. Yes, I hope we can get to them all. Okay, hi, Samantha and Denise. I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I was hoping you could guide me a little with whatever words of wisdom you may have. I switched careers a little less than two years ago from running an office to being an admin in a supporting role. The company I left was incredibly toxic, and it was time for me to leave. I took a huge step down to switch companies, but there was promise of advancement, so I took the small bump in pay, lengthened my commute, and jumped in. It was very rocky, to say the least. Within six months of making the move to the new job, I decided I wanted to be a project manager. This is a far cry from an admin position and way out of my comfort zone but I had no doubt I'd be good at it because I'm an empath and I'm very good with people and project management is essentially people management. So I enrolled in an online master's program and began classes. About March of last year, things changed drastically. I had taken on three positions to help out the company while we were going through some hard times. I accepted a position as a buyer even though I didn't really want the position because I didn't want to be stuck. It had, been, it had become painfully clear that I was great at being an admin and it was comfortable, but that's not where my calling was. I busted my tail to succeed at something I was very out of the water with and was promoted to assistant project manager last fall for only six months in the role as buyer. This was unexpected at the time. I had anticipated it would take much longer. My office is not organized. Our general manager is a mess. I try not to judge other people, but it's hard when it affects your job and your work. I get no guidance from him or the other project manager who's training me, so I've had pretty much had to forge my own path. So far, I feel as if I can handle it, although there have been a lot of bumps. I work with a group of people who are so incredibly negative. We're supposed to be working as a team, but the engineers are so awful and are more interested in being right and pointing out people's mistakes rather than working as a team. We have a meeting every Tuesday. These meetings are with a large group of people, so everyone gets to hear about all your failures and mistakes. It's humiliating, unprofessional, and shows zero professional courtesy. I feel so demoralized and defeated after these meetings because I try to be the best I can be and bend over backwards to help others and make this project a success and I just get shamed, starting to feel like I don't belong in this position. I wonder if you have any advice for protecting myself, growing a thicker skin, or maybe I'm not even in the right area. I'm not really sure how to shake off my anxiety and dismay and go back to being the positive, happy person I was before. Now I'm feeling defensive and hurt. Okay, so then she emailed us again and said, all right, after I emailed you all the first time, I headed to a professional luncheon where I met a fellow empath, and she shared some words of wisdom with me. I need to get into meditating and clearing the bad energy after these meetings. I also had a conversation with the overall project manager, and he's going to address some of the issues with the engineers, so hopefully this will start to get resolved. If you do have any words of advice or crystals that may help, I often wear an amethyst around my neck and have a ring that is the three colors of ambers I wear in my left hand. Please let me know. 
My amethyst seems super cloudy, so I tried to set it out in the sun and moonlight over the weekend, but it doesn't seem to have cleared up. I also rinsed it underwater. Should I put it away for now, bury it in salt? Thank you all for so much for what you do. You are much appreciated. Okay, so before we jump into the crystals and the protection and all of that, I just want to say, and I want to hear if you heard it too, Denise, I heard her doing a lot of things on this journey that she didn't want to do. Yes, yes, and, and trying to make it okay with herself. Yes, and I think that is such a problem with us empaths. We do this all the time. You know, she jumped companies. She didn't really want the longer commute. She didn't, wasn't super happy with the salary. And then she's going back for this other master's to get project manager. And then she's taking on three other roles in the office to help them through a hard time. I mean, all of that is, is um, I don't know, sometimes when I look back on my own life and I, and I will have those moments of like, hey, guides, where were you? And then I look back and I think, oh, they were there when I felt that shouldn't do that or I don't know about this move. That's, that's our guidance telling us this might not be the best leap of faith for you at this time. So I would just say to everyone, pay attention to those little feelings of, yikes, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if this is good for me. And I think that can be really tricky, Denise, because so often we hear, take that leap of faith, take a risk, overcome your fears, push yourself out of your comfort zone. And I, I agree with that, but not always. Not always. Also, if is, is the company dependent on this being done to a certain level of expertise that it will impact so much? I, and what, what I was thinking about is a friend of mine moved into a position and, and it's financial for this company and she was left without, the person who had been in it before had not done an adequate job. We'll just leave it at that. And so this woman is trying to scramble and find documents and receipts and records and check balances and all these things that no one can seem to find. And it's really important because they're, get, they're getting ready for an audit in this company. And I thought that, is, and she's also very empathic, and she said, I have to do this because they're going to think that it was me. And I said, no, they won't. They'll go back and realize you weren't even on board. And she said, but in this company, that's not going to matter. So I, I kind of wonder if this woman is feeling responsible for other people's choices or lack of pulling their own share as well. Because I know I've, I've fallen into that many times. Oh, no one else is going to do it. I'll do it. Which kind of borders on a victim thing. But it also is if something really needs to get done, we'll step up and do it. Right. Exactly. And there has to come a time when you say, no, it's not going to be me. I am not going to be the rescuer, the savior. You know, I watched, and I know we need to move on to other questions, but I just have to share this real quick. I watched this awesome movie with my kids this weekend. I cannot recommend it enough. It's with Rebel Wilson. Wilson is called, Isn't It a Romantic? Okay. And it's about this girl and she grows up with this mom it shows her as a little girl, she's watching Pretty Woman and all these romances, and her mom says, those are all just fairy tales that never happens in real life. Grow up, love isn't real, basically. And so it shows her, and she goes into work as an adult, and she's this assistant architect, 
And everyone in the office treats her like the secretary. Hey, can you get me some coffee? Hey, can you fix the printer? Hey, can you go fix this? Can you run this errand? And she's always like, okay, yeah, sure. But you can tell she doesn't really want to do it, but she keeps doing it. So the whole movie is about not how she learns to fall in love with a man, but how she learns to fall in love with herself. And when she finally does, and she returns to work, and they are like, hey, I'm out of coffee. Hey, the printer's broken again. She's like, well, that's not my job. Good luck fixing that. I'm not the coffee girl, but there's a coffee shop right at the end of the road. And she just nixes it all in the butt. It's such a great example of how when we truly love ourselves, we don't allow ourselves to be run to the ground this way. So I would just say that another thing she could do is meet with that project manager again and maybe have him show her in writing what are her job responsibilities as assistant project manager. And maybe she just needs to pin those to her desk or tape them to her computer monitor and remind herself. And every time someone asks her to take on something else, she can look at that list and say, is that in my job description? Nope. Right. Could you touch real quickly on the cloudy amethyst? Yes, yes. So sometimes when we wear a crystal so, so much, putting it in the sun and the moon is not going to clean it. The sunlight and the moonlight charges your crystal which is great, but it doesn't clean it of all the crap and debris it has absorbed for you. So what she really needs to do with that amethyst is to bury it in salt or sage. Now, you cannot put all stones in salt. I just want to make that clear. And if you're not sure, you can look at my Beginner's Guide to Crystal eCourse. I've got a list of crystals that should never go in salt water. You can also look at the back of Melody's Love is in the Earth book, and it'll tell you which crystals can't go in water or salt. But amethyst can. And salt is such a good absorber of negativity that I would recommend she either put it in a bowl of water with um, a couple of tablespoons of salt just reading how she wears this crystal so much, I would recommend she just put it in a bowl of salt and then throw that salt away. Give it back to the earth. Um, put it over some weeds. Or she can just put it in a Ziploc baggie with sage and leave it for like a month. I'm not kidding. When our stones have worked so hard for us, they need a lot of time to rest and recharge and clear. Now, while that amethyst is cleansing and recharging, I think she should try other stones. Labradorite is one of my favorite stones for empaths because the main job for Labradorite for us empaths is to protect our energy while keeping us open to the good stuff. So picture a traffic cop, you know, where he's got the one hand up to this lane of traffic and the other hand he's going, come on, come through. That's kind of how Labradorite works. It says stop, no to the negative stuff, but come on through to the good positive stuff. And that makes empaths comfortable and happy. When we block everything like black tourmaline or hematite will do, sometimes that makes empaths feel disconnected and, sh and, and cut off. So I would recommend Labradorite for her. Um, Amber isn't really good for her work situations. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a crystal, first of all. It's, it's resin, fossilized resin. It can do a lot of great stuff for passion for work and confidence. But if she could get a piece of Amazonite in a ring, I think that would be much better than, Amazon, than uh, Amber because Amazonite is wonderful for women in work places. It helps to remember and recall your power. 
and to help you set your boundaries and stand in your power. It's I call it like the Wonder Woman of the other stones. You know, the Wonder Woman stance, that's kind of mm-hmm. how Amazon looks to me. So those are the two stones I would recommend for her. Okay, and just one last quick thing. How long would you leave it in the salt? Because I can feel like people would be saying, okay, I'll leave it in the sage for a month. How long should I leave it in the salt? I would leave it in the salt for at least a couple of days. Okay. Like three, four, five days, a while. And actually, what I, like I have a clear quartz that I wear around my neck all the time. And what I do is every day before I go to bed, I rinse it in water. And then I spray it with my little sage spray to cleanse it. But on the weekends, I leave it in a bowl of salt all weekend and I wear something else. So if there's a stone that you wear all the time, you need to be really vigilant about cleansing it, not just charging it in the sun or moonlight. Perfect. And that was a lot of good information. So even though we went kind of in a different direction, what she has, I think it's perfect for so many people listening that are getting more connected with stones and with their own personal energy and strength. I hope so. And if we could all just say an extra prayer for her and everyone listening who's dealing with those negative, toxic work environments, God knows I've been there. I know you've been there, Denise. It sucks. There's no other word for it. It just sucks to be at a job where everyone's negative. So let's just say a prayer for her and everyone in those environments. Oh, one more thing that really did help me in those work environments. When you're driving to work, imagine your office and visualize it filling with pink foam like pink insulation, just imagine the whole office filling with that. And that will help kind of calm the energy down of everyone. It sends them love. Very, very helpful. I will shut up now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Our next one says, good afternoon, Samantha and Denise. I am a devout Catholic from a pretty strict Roman Catholic Spanish family my whole life, which I enjoyed because I felt grounded and protected. I've always felt close to God, reading chapter Bibles for fun, singing about God when I was a little girl. My mom even said when I was little I would talk to angels in my crib. Through my childhood, teenage years, and adulthood, I always felt I was being taught lessons and wondered why that was because I'm a nice person throughout all of this, all the ups and downs. Flash forward, my three children are teenagers. My brother passed away in 2016, and and I took in my eight-year-old niece, who has special needs and also is dealing with major trauma. With support from my husband and family, I'm able to take care of my extended nuclear family. Flash forward again to 2019, I've been experiencing what would be called a confused awakening. I've always thought I could see shadows or felt like someone was following me and not until recently have decided that the universe is getting my attention. Examples first started is when I first started seeing relatives that have passed in my dreams at the end of my bed saying that they are fine, seeing 11-11, seeing my brother in my home in a split second by my niece, having lucid dreaming of people I don't even know, and waking up exhausted. I've had images of an angel laying by my back in my bed. I also have the feeling like plants and animals are trying to communicate with me. The biggest thing for me was I woke up crying thinking I was going to die. My husband was even scared, and I told him that a huge archangel was hugging me, and I felt safe and loved, but I still woke up scared. I can only describe the way he looked, which was a lovely flowing green sash with a white robe and some sort of leather flowing belt. I have some intuitive thoughts that get validated by close friends and relatives, 
and before I before they get to answer the question, I seem to have the answer, so I'm a bit confused about this. Currently, I'm very scared and started feeling more nervous of this awakening. Not sure what to do, but taking it day by day. I do see my youngest son as an empath, but most of my sons are very science, and there's no hocus pocus mom. <laughs> uh, but one son has felt someone touch his arm or nudge his back, so this scares me because it's my child, and I don't share much of this with people I don't know. So when she found our podcast, it was like finding and seeing the word empath. It all seemed to fall into place for her. Um, you ladies have definitely brought up some answers to my questions, and I've had a very positive inclination to, to reach out. So she's very grateful for this. And uh, I think that her, her email is such... Uh, it, it, it's what so many people are going through right now. This huge awakening that's happening. All of a sudden, why am I feeling these things? Why am I sensing these things? And the dreams have been off the chain lately. I was sharing this with a friend of mine earlier today. These vivid, unbelievable dreams. So um, it just feels like a. it is an awakening. But again, it ties back into, and I think it, it goes back to all religions, but so many people that have Catholic roots seem to end up in a spiritual place later on. I think there's a connection there. Yes, I do too. I've actually thought about this a lot. I think because as Catholics, we are raised to believe in pretty paranormal stuff that a lot of other religions, well, at least a lot of other Christian denominations don't really believe in at all. I mean, we are taught to go to saints for help with prayers and we are taught that there's a saint for everything it kind of reminds me of gods and goddesses from the pagans right mm -hmm. we are taught that saints can do miracles i mean the vatican has a miracle committee it's really cool to study if you don't know anything about it it's it's a very thorough committee before a saint is canonized they have to prove that after praying to that saint after the saint has died that they performed three miracles. There are doctors and scientists on this committee. There are non-Catholics on this committee. I mean, it's really, really rigid. And they have to prove that no other scientific or medical intervention could have created this miracle. And the saint after death has to perform three of those to be deemed a saint. I mean, it's a really big deal. Now, the old, old saints, like from the 13th century and below, not so much. If you just died for your religion, you were pretty much called a saint. But the newer saints um, had to go through this very, very rigorous investigation. We have saints who have been able to bilocate, who can fly. Look at, you know, Joseph of Cupertino or Padre Pio. So there's a lot of mystical, magical stuff in there. We have... Um, St. Hildegard, who performed miracles and healings and had mystical visions. St. Therese of Lisieux, who had so many mystical visions that she wrote books about it. Um, the interior castle being my favorite. We have this belief in angels and angelic intervention and help. So I think because of all of that kind of magical, mystical belief that goes along with being Catholic, it leaves us more open to this. So that as we get older and we go through this spiritual awakening, we are more receptive to the spiritual mystical side that often accompanies a spiritual awakening. So that's why I think so many mediums, for example, have Catholicism in their background, like John Edward, John Holland, 
and George Anderson, uh, Gordon Smith, and so on. I do think there's a connection. But I, I want to say with her, with spiritual awakening and having all of these dreams, I think that if you look at people who have awakened to their intuitive abilities, like if you read that book, Suddenly Psychic, about the woman who had the brain issue and then was psychic, there's often a trauma that precedes a psychic awakening. I don't necessarily believe that these people were not psychic before this trauma, but I think something about the traumatic event makes us pause and realize what's really important in life. And it brings us to our knees and helps us to really surrender to who we are and why we are here. It pulls all the nonsense and chaos out of life. So I think losing her brother and having to take care of his special needs daughter, that's a trauma. Mm -hmm. And that can really help you clear away the clutter of, oh, I don't like my job and how am I going to pay this bill and do I have to clean this house again? And the monotony of life, it clears all of that away. And what remains is truth. And that truth is often what triggers a spiritual awakening. Now, I don't think that we have just one spiritual awakening in our lifetime. I think we have many. And it sounds like this is one of her first. I mean, she could have had another one as a child, but it sounds like this one's pretty significant. Seeing her brother standing next to her niece as mediums, you and I know how common that is. Mm -hmm. They are with them. He is watching out for her. Having lucid dreams about people she's never met, that happens to me all the time. I know it happens to you too, Denise, and so many of the mediums that we've taught in our classes. When you start to wake up, really what's happening is your light is being turned on even brighter. And spirits on the other side, they don't see us. They don't see me sitting here with my dog next to me. They don't see you sitting in Maine looking out at your beautiful yard with your clothes on and your jewelry and your hair. They don't see us. They see our light. That's all they can see. And so when we wake up, our light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And so spirits and sometimes stuck spirits, which we call earthbounds, are really attracted to that bright light because they think, ooh, that person can help me get unstuck. So it's really common during a spiritual awakening before you learn how to ground and manage your abilities to have those experiences. I would recommend a couple of things. One... Um, Deb and I, on my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, we did a really thorough episode on signs of a spiritual awakening. I think we think it's like an hour and 15 minutes, and we walk through the signs that you're going through an awakening and what to do about it. But don't forget YouTube. YouTube is such a great resource, and I love it because I look at weird videos all the time, as you all can imagine. I'm always looking at, are you in the third dimension or fifth dimension, or chakra meditations, all sorts of weird stuff. And when you research a lot of weird videos on YouTube, they will suggest other weird videos for you to look at. And there are a lot of great videos on spiritual awakening. Are you in a spiritual awakening? What are the signs? What do you do as you're going through it? What do you do after you've gone through it? And then the other thing I wanted to say to her that's not talked about a lot, and it's something I think we need to address. Maybe it would be a good whole topic for us, Denise is the loneliness that accompanies a spiritual awakening. So often people talk about, oh, everything changed after my awakening and everything's love and light and I don't see judgment anymore. And yeah, that's all great. But 
the crappy side of going through an awakening is this loneliness, this feeling of, oh, I get it, but nobody around me gets it. And that can make us feel lonely. And I kind of sense that in her email when she was talking about how she really enjoyed growing up as a Catholic and talking to Mary and the angels. And now she's going through this awakening and she still is seeing angels. For me, when I went through my spiritual awakening, it made me question a lot that I had been taught growing up Catholic. And that made me feel really lonely for a while because I realized that Mary wasn't necessarily this 14-year-old girl that had to marry Joseph and then had this virgin birth. When I started studying the history and the facts and all the other examples of virgin births that had come before her and started seeing her more as an archetype and more as this symbol than an actual human, it felt sad and lonely to me until I was able to wrestle with that and figure out, oh, no, no, okay, maybe she's been this in, you know, the 3rd century BC, and maybe she's been this in the 10th century BC, but in the 1st century AD, she was Mary, and that's how I relate to her, and that's okay too. But there is that period of feeling isolated and as though nobody gets you, don't you think? I agree, and I think that's one of the reasons that we are so <laughs> the blunt version, so hell-bent on bringing all of us together, finding the like-minded people, providing a safe space to send these kind of questions, because I think we need to find each other right now and bolster our own awakenings. And I, I agree with you that I don't think it's a one-time deal. I think it's progressive throughout our lifetimes, we continue to evolve, we continue to wake up, we continue to raise our vibration and go to an, another level, and that changes our connection with divine. Yeah, it really does. Like, okay, I have a quick story to share. I went to a barbecue for Memorial Day, and do you ever get to someone's house and the family's so stressed out, you realize they don't really want you there anymore? Yes. Has that ever happened to you? Like, we just walked in and they were like, the grill's not working, and, blah, blah, blah. and everybody was just kind of stressed out. So I, you know, we just kind of chilled and, and, and helped and cooked everything. And by the time we got to the dinner table, everyone was so exhausted that nobody was talking. And, you know, silence makes me super uncomfortable. So I brought up like five topics. They all died, and that was it. And I'm, so we're eating our burgers, and I'm thinking like, what else can I talk about? So I just, what do I know? All I know is what I'm doing in my own life. And right now... Deb and I are getting ready to record an Unsolved Mysteries show on the Philadelphia Experiment, which is a super cool story about a Navy ship that possibly slipped through time. Ooh. So I'm sharing with everybody at the table, hey, I'm doing this cool research for my show. One person looked at me and goes, you really believe that crap? Oh. Yes, actually, I do believe in time slips. You know, kind of like Einstein. <laughs> but... <laughs> Pesky Einstein, he's, he's always got our back. What was he thinking? So even conversations like that can make me feel lonely, like nobody gets it. So you're right. Hopefully this show reminds us and everyone listening that there are other weirdos out there who are awakened and get it. Okay, our next question is much shorter. Hi, Samantha. I just listened to the most recent Enlightened Empath show. 
when you said as an empath, you don't feel worthy. And so then you constantly give, it was like a light went off for me. I constantly give because I don't feel worthy. And listening to you and Denise talk about setting your boundaries and taking care of yourself was so helpful. You need to write a book. Thanks for sharing your spiritual teachings. Well, thank you for sharing that. I would love to write a book. If everyone could, in addition to praying for our listener from question one, if everyone could pray that I find time to write a book, I will answer that heed, that call. (laughs) I just wanted to share that because that was just one of the many comments and emails we got about that show. I think a lot of empaths can really resonate with that idea of giving and giving and giving because you don't feel worthy just as you are there. I think so many empaths feel including us that there needs to always be, I don't know, like just us are the ones who are fixing, helping, rescuing, serving. It's that whole Cinderella archetype that I think so many empaths live their life from. I agree. And I think that that goes along with this awakening that, the second question seemed to address is we're trying to figure out, well, what about me? How do I take care of me? And not at all in a selfish or an egotistical way, but how can I honor myself and love myself and take care of myself while I'm also taking care of the people that, I mean, if you have children or elderly parents or dear friends that are in crisis, obviously we want to help them, but not wanting to help people who take and take and take at the expense of just draining us physically, mentally, emotionally, and sometimes even financially. Yeah, I agree. All right. You want to? Yeah. Uh, Hey, ladies, I absolutely love your show. I recently read the book, Dodging Energy Vampires, and listened to your podcast about it got me thinking, can a person be an empath and an energy vampire at the same time, especially if they're an empath without well-developed boundaries or a sense of self-worth? I feel like I know a few people that are very empathic but have an exhausting need for validation, myself included, and especially teenage me, bless her heart. (laughs) For example, some empaths have a deep need for validation from others that they are, in fact, kind and therefore worthy. Or they say yes when they want to say no and then complain to friends without ever correcting their boundaries. Or they may know not be skilled at voicing their needs and instead use passive-aggressive methods to make someone feel guilty for not being thoughtful. Or they can be so sensitive, others feel that they're on eggshells around them. I hope this question makes sense. These examples aren't malicious, and I don't think they fit the personality disorders described in the book, but they do describe a need for others to feel something that isn't being filled by the empath themselves. Does that put them on the energy vampire spectrum or is it just the result of not being empowered? Any insight or wisdom is very appreciated, as I think I've confused myself a bit. I absolutely love the show and the work you ladies do. Best wishes. And I can see myself in so many of those examples. Me too. You know, at the, and that's, I think that's beautifully written. I think that's holding up the mirror for so many of us that we are coming from a kind, heartful, generous, open place but we don't direct that to ourselves. I think a lot of us, we're so damn afraid that it's going to be coming from a place of ego or am I being selfish? Am I? And she's right. I think there's a very fine line with this. I agree. And I think 
one thing we should all realize, everybody has been an energy vampire at some point in their life. It's not, you know, it's not like you're always an energy vampire or you're always the spiritual healing helper. There's a spectrum to all of this. And sometimes, can't you tell when you're being an energy vampire? Do you, have you ever been in times in your life where you're just constantly complaining or, or worrying and you can hear the unspoken sigh on the other line of the phone when you're talking to a friend? Or you get off the phone and you text and say, oh, I'm sorry, I just dumped all that on you. I yes. Was, and sometimes the person will text back and say, you're so weird, or they'll say, you know, you listen to me too. So it I think it depends on the friendship and who you're doing it with, but I agree. I think sometimes, well, and I know I say this way too much, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's why I have to write every morning is it helps me purge a lot of that crap that emotionally gets stuck. And right. big, big believer, whatever your thing is to turn the valve and let off some of the steam so that it doesn't stay in your system or in your head or in your emotional field. I think that that's a daily practice and it doesn't matter what it is. It's whatever works for you. I definitely have done this a lot. I'm sure I'll do it again, but I have worked on it a lot. And one of the things I do now that my guides helped me with when I was meditating about this problem in my life. Because the one thing I really resonate with is saying yes to something you don't want to do and then complaining miserably about it. I was really good at that. And one of the things my guides taught me, they showed me this image of me in a little car. And we drive up to me doing whatever it is I don't want to do. Volunteering for this thing was usually usually what it was involved. You know, can you bring 36 cupcakes in the next eight hours to school? Something like that. And they would have me drive up in a little car to an image of me doing that. And then they would have me drive further and, and look at how is that event going to make me feel before, during, and after. And if afterwards I didn't feel good about it, even though it was something that maybe people needed from me, they would say, don't do it. So the power of the pause, as we've been saying. Now what I do when someone asks me to do something is I pause and I think, what are my motivations for doing this? Is it guilt? Is it a need to help? Is it that need to give and give and give so I feel worthy? Or do I want to do this because, heck yeah, I love baking 36 cupcakes. What's my motivation? The other thing I look at is how is saying yes to this going to affect the people important to me? If I take this on, is this going to affect my family and my pets? I mean, really, like if, you know, for example, I spent a year volunteering. I, I taught at my daughter's school for free for a year. And that took a lot from my family and from my pets because they were alone more than they were used to. I got a lot out of it. I enjoyed giving back to my kids' school. They've given a lot to us. So I, I didn't complain bitterly about it. I did want to do it. But it was one of those things where it took a lot of time away from people who truly needed me. And so just taking that pause, I think, can prevent you from morphing into that energy vampire modality. Do you know what I mean by that? Like just really thinking before saying yes or no. What is this going to look like now while I'm doing it and after? That's a great 
tool, a great advice. It's a and but and I have to. I think if you're even questioning, am I being an energy vampire? That's a good sign. That means you're yes. you're acknowledging your own part in this. And I agree again that I think we all do this at some point or through tendencies in our lives. So it's not the us and them mentality. It's we all have this piece in us and for some people it's more pronounced than in others. Yeah, I do too. And I think talk writing about it like you said is such a great idea. Um, talking about it and being honest about it is good. One of the things I do a lot, Denise, when I'm in a difficult stage of life is I go into what I call turtle mode. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't return calls. I don't say yes to invites. I just need to like tuck in. And one of my friends kind of got his feelings hurt and was like, you, you know, you're never calling me back anymore. What's going on? And finally I called him and I said, look, I'm in a really funky stage right now. And I just, I don't want to call you and slime you. I don't want to call you and say, I'm depressed over this. I'm worried about that. I'm anxious for this. And he said, Samantha, that's what a friend is for. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there's that whole spectrum where we're so afraid of being energy vampires that we don't reach out for the help that we need from our friends. Yeah, it's a balance. So now what I do is I will call a friend and I will say, hey, do you have 10 minutes to listen to me throw up on you? <laughs> I feel like warning them is good, don't you? Oh, I agree. You are about to be slimed by my mm -hmm. litany of complaints. Okay, our next question says, as always, thank you for all you do. I enjoyed listening to the most recent Conversation with Friends podcast. I'm sorry to hear that both of you were judged for being you, but I loved everything you both had to say on the subject of it's their problem, not yours. It also upsets me to hear that others take issue with you charging money for what you do. It makes me crazy when I hear people say things like that. Here's how I see it. First of all, you absolutely both deserve financial compensation for what you do. And let me explain my opinion. Yes, you both have a gift. But as you've said many times, everyone has this gift. Everyone has the potential to do what you both do, just like everyone has the potential to be an accountant. Accountants spend time, money, and energy studying, reading books, taking classes, and practicing their talent. They didn't come out of the womb knowing how to crunch numbers. So when I hire a CPA to do my taxes, I expect to pay him or her. I'm paying for their expertise and helping me with a subject that I don't want to spend my time, energy, and money learning. I'm paying them for the effort they put in to learning how to be really good at what they do. The term gifted accountant or gifted doctor or gifted mechanic isn't uncommon to hear. And they are the same as gifted intuitive. You both have put in loads of time, money, energy, and practice to get where you are now. And I imagine you put in a lot of work during your free time. You put in the time and effort to learn about this work and build your skills. So even though it's an ability that we're all born with, we still have to put in a lot of effort and learning in order to be good at it. So when I come to you for a reading, I expect to pay because just like the accountant, I am paying for you to help me by using your skills that you have honed over time. And frankly, another reason I want to pay is because I would hate for you ever to say, I can't do your reading because I have to get to a job that takes me away from this work. This is your career and I pay you for your skills and expertise. It's an exchange of energy and it hopefully ensures that you will be able to continue to do this work. I have no doubt that in your line of work, you encounter the most heartbreaking stories and you are there to hold space for people that are going through the tragedies 
others can't possibly imagine. And amidst all of this, you are also volunteering your time. You offer the podcast for free, and they are enormously helpful. You are giving back to the community. So I just wanted to throw in my two cents. Thank you for all you do, and you deserve every single penny and all the blessings that come your way. Take care, Kate. Oh. Well, I did pay Kate a lot of money to say that. But... <laughs> No, but um, even though that's that's a, a a story that is really just patting you and I on our back, I don't like to. We get a lot of lovely emails and Facebook messages like that, and we don't read them all on the show because it's kind of like, look at us, ladies. But I wanted to share that for all the other intuitives and self-employed entrepreneurs and artists who are out there trying to share their gifts with the world. I just think her words are so beautifully stated that we are worthy of compensation. And, and I do, I thank you. Thank you so very much for those kind words and the validation and the encouragement. And I agree as well that so many people, I, I talked with a woman last week and she is, it kept coming through in the reading, how incredibly creative, artistic, you know how sometimes you feel that energy from someone who's so creative that, you can't imagine them not bringing that energy out into the world. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was, well, I can't make enough money to support myself doing that. So it's just a hobby. And, you know, it, it just kept, I, I think we all need to realize that, I mean, be realistic, pay your bills, be grounded. Don't, we, we've talked about that ad nauseum, but this is about if you feel such a passion in your heart to offer what you consider your soul work, the money will come because it's energy. It's just energy. And, you right. can, and I think if you, again, big fan of the side hustle, <laughs> get your feet wet and see if it's something you even want to do because it's a commitment. It's a huge commitment. I have a friend. Do you ever have friends that kind of come in and out of your life and you don't talk every day or even every six months, but when you see each other, it's like, oh, there you are. I have a friend like that that I taught with at the community college and her side hustle or hobby was painting, but you know, she needed benefits and a job. So she taught, she was a damn good teacher, but her painting was crazy, incredibly good. And she always had that thought too. I can't make money off of this. I've got to put my kids through college. I need health benefits, all of that. And ironically, Denise, when I went to my first intuitive development class years and years ago, when I was so nervous to walk into that place alone, she was one of the first people I saw. And I didn't even know working with her all those years, she was into this stuff. Anyway, when she did finally retire from teaching, she took all of her giant, beautiful, fantastic paintings and put them in the back of a van. And she drove, she spent an entire summer going up and down the East Coast, stopping at galleries. And she was able to get representation in three galleries. That was in, I want to say, 29, 2010, somewhere around there. She is now a really well-known artist Aww. and is sought after. And she has a second life that is, I watch her on Facebook and I'm like, holy shit, she's being presented in galleries all over America. She travels constantly. She goes to showing. It's amazing. And it's just an example of the minute you devote time to your quote unquote gift, it pays back mm -hmm. and we all benefit. 
I just felt such a, a, a warm feeling in my heart, and I wanted to cry when you said that. Because you can tell she waited a long time to step into what she really came here to do. Yes. Oh, that was a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah, she's very inspiring. Okay, go ahead. Um, oh, is it my turn? Um, no, I think okay. it's, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question is surrendering a part of releasing anger. I was able to find the surrendering podcast and have ordered a couple of the books that were recommended. Do either of you have book suggestions on releasing anger? Thank you, ladies, for your time and any suggestions you may have. Oh. Well, this was actually, this question was a lot longer. I just kind of edited it down. This was actually the question that motivated our empath and the and anger show. So oh, from last week. From last week. So hopefully we addressed a lot of her questions in that show. But I have learned the most about releasing anger from Thich Nhat Khan's work. Mm-hmm. And so I would recommend that she check out his work because he writes so beautifully about how we can surrender anger. But hopefully she listened to our show on the positive side of anger. Because once again, I don't want to repeat that whole hour, but I, I do believe that anger is a healthy emotion that too many empaths avoid. And, and also, Denise, have you ever noticed that the angry people in your life are the healthiest? Sometimes. Sometimes, but then I think there's a turning point where it, it chews away at your health. And I think a lot of times anger, resentment, bitterness will manifest in physical illness after an extended period of time. No, I totally agree with that. But, you know, my sister and I were talking about how we're, we're kind of the nicest people in our family. And, and that's not like, look at us, we're so great because we're not, we're not always nice because we want to be nice. We're, we're just nice because we're empathic and we feel like we need to be. And we are the only ones in our family that got breast cancer. And there are other members in our family who are smoking and drinking and not exercising <laughs> and they're as healthy as can be. And I remember I said to my therapist, like, it really pisses me off. Like, I'm happy that they're healthy, but I don't understand. My sister and I are working so hard to live spiritual lives of altruism and goodness and generosity and sharing and gratitude and compassion and kind. And he said, well, they're getting it out. They're getting their anger out. And so that's going to help them push that energy through. Whereas when you have anger and you don't release it healthily and productively, I'm not talking about screaming at a customer service rep who's just trying to do his job. I'm talking about if you're mad at someone, you need to tell that person. And I think this is so important to model for our children I had this experience this weekend. My daughter was all set to go for the day with a friend of hers. And this friend is a wonderful friend, but she's notorious for canceling at the last minute. And so my daughter's all packed, the car's ready to go, and, she, and the friend kept saying, I need 30 more minutes. I have to do this, this, and that. I need 10 more minutes. Finally, at the exact time they're supposed to leave, the friend says, I'm sorry, I just can't go. I can't make it work. And my daughter just kind of burst into tears. Now, normally I would have just helped her process that emotion. But because this is like the seventh time in a row this friend has done that, I said, honey, you need to talk to her. 
You don't need to yell at her or berate her for canceling on you. Uh, that, so when I say you need to share your anger, I don't mean it that way. I just mean you need to let her know how this affected you. And my friend was like, my, I mean, my daughter said, I can't do that. She's my friend. I can't. And I said, no, honey, because she's your friend, you need to do this. Just simply call her and say, I know this is not your fault. I know this is out of your hands. However, I just need to let you know that it really hurts my feelings that you keep doing this. And so in the future, going forward, if you know you can't do something with me, please just say no or give me advance notice. And she did it. And it made her feel so much better. It was hard for her because, of course, the friend responded with, oh, I'm so sorry, please don't, you know, and, and my daughter was like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just letting you know how it makes me feel when you do this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think if we could all do that in our life, so I don't even know if that's expressing anger or if it's just anger and hurt, but what do they say? Anger is, is the despair of hope turned inside out or something like that. You know, my daughter was hoping for this wonderful day that they had planned and it didn't happen and it made her angry and sad. I think we need to, as empaths, get comfortable with sharing that. Right. Again, not in an angry yelling way, but in a healthy way. But also a beautiful lesson and gift to give your daughter to learn this now, not at 25, 35, 45, or, or higher on the scale. It's, right. She's learned to take care of herself and set boundaries that are not malicious or cruel or, or hurtful, but that she's taking care of herself in the process. Well, because otherwise you do become an energy vampire because this friend has done this so many times with all the girls in their group that what they have gotten in the habit of doing is talking to each other about it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she did it again to me. No way, she just did that to me last night. And I had to say to her, honey, that's gossiping. And that's not good either. You guys aren't being a friend. If this is a problem that she has in your group, you need to address it with her. It's good advice. Okay, our next question says, hello, you wonderful ladies. I just finished listening to your May conversation with friends episode about judgment. About 12 years ago, I remember sitting in my car, backed up in traffic, thinking horrible thoughts about the people in the cars around me. Then, like a ton of bricks, I heard and felt the word, stop. I felt this need to stop judging. And ever since then, I've made an effort to do just that. Fast forward several years, I met a wonderful man and married him. He's an amazing partner and I love him dearly. I love his family too. They're very warm and welcoming to me. The only issue is their constant judgment of others. I really feel they were brought into my life to test my resolve. Whenever we get together for family events, they sit down and gossip. I never know how to react. I try not to respond, but they'll start peppering me with questions to get some kind of a response out of me. When they leave, I feel so drained and just sour, and then I feel guilty for feeling that way. Next time I'm with them, however, I'm going to try Samantha's tactic of politely changing the subject. And as my continued journey of non-judgment, I'll try to include how I think about myself from now on after these encounters. Thank you both for sharing your light. Well, that's 
That's lovely. And I do think the universe does that, that once we've made a significant change in our life, the universe does come back in to test us that we've gotten that lesson. Right. And it's not easy to be in that environment and to not respond or to, and I, this was one of the best compliments I ever got in my life is some people around me were talking about someone and the lady said to me, well, what do you think? And the other lady said, oh, she's not going to say anything. And I thought, you're right, I'm not. And, but I thought that in my head. I didn't say it out loud. And sometimes just being quiet is the best choice. Yes, I, I agree. Would you like to read the next one? Sure. Your last conversation podcast was so helpful. The thought of not being good enough and fear of success is definitely what I'm going through right now. I know that I've been holding myself back because instead of going for it, I need to push the negative to the side and get out of my own way. I'm going to try to be conscious about my judgment of myself and what sets me off when I feel judged. Thank you. Okay, so many folks are going through this right now. It is unbelievable. There are people, haven't you had that coming up a lot with readings and with friends? Yes. Why can't I stop procrastinating? Why can't I find my oomph? Why am I not doing what I know I need to, to do to, to step forward? And it, that has been incredible, incredibly prevalent lately. Well, you know, a lot of channelers and spiritual teachers are saying that we are shifting dimensions. I don't know all about that. But it does feel like something is shifting in the world where it's kind of like go time. Mm -hmm. And we're being asked to really step up and live the life we came here to do. And whenever we do that, it's going to trigger all of our old stuff to come out. Because the, the ego, whatever you want to call it, is going to say, wait, 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 that's not how we do this. Whenever we are about to make a positive change, remember, we get scared and fearful and we procrastinate and we distract ourselves. So let's do that because that's what I know and that's what I'm comfortable with. Well, and yet yes. we're moving into this new direction where we're being asked to change that. And I, I think it's hard to go through that, but I think it's so important. And, and I'm just glad that everyone is starting to realize that this fear of success is almost worse in many ways than a fear of failure. But as Winston Churchill said, success is nothing more than moving from failure to failure with enthusiasm. And, and I think, too, that this is that nudge of, are you comparing yourself to someone else and that's your level of success? We talked about that in another show. Or is this something that you'll do whether anybody ever reads it, hears it, sees it? There's a difference with that, I think. And yes. Coming from a place of truth that you know this is something that you came onto the planet to share or experience or help other people with, holding yourself back, it, I just, it keeps for myself, and again, I think it's my age, but I think for a lot of people as well, I want to make the most of this. I don't want to get to the end of the game and look back and say, oh shit, I wonder what would have happened if I had actually stepped up and tried to do that. Right. You know what's really fun to do is to read books or listen to podcasts about famous entrepreneurs. Like I was listening to the woman who invented Spanx being interviewed and her story was so inspiring. She had two years of no's mm -hmm. and she just kept on persisting until she got a yes. Or read Ogmandino's The Greatest Salesman in the World. I love that little book. Mm -hmm. There's so many 
wonderful, inspiring stories of people who just won't take no for an answer because they believe in their dream and themselves so much. And they will push through that fear of success and judgment and comparison to get to where they need to be. And where would we be without Spanx, right? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is that you're hoping to do with your success, just know that the world needs it. Hello, ladies. I'm loving the podcast you two are putting on. Thank you so much for your information and conversations. I have a question. I've been sleeping with lapis under my pillow, which has been giving me very interesting dreams. Recently, I had a dream where I was friends with death. Death was a person. He looked like the typical Grim Reaper, only eyes all in black with a hooded cloak on, very stereotypical. And we were having a conversation, even joking with each other. It was very odd, and I can't understand the meaning behind it. My question is, how do you know when your dreams are messages from spirit or just a dream? What's the difference? Well, interestingly enough, this is like the third email I've gotten in the last two months with people having a wonderful dream experiences as a result of lapis, which I just think is pretty cool because usually we associate amethyst or halite with dream recall, Mm -hmm. but lapis can help as well. So I think when we have a message from spirit, you know, because it's logical and it makes sense and it's very vivid and real. When we have a dream that's just a dream, it usually does have stereotypes in it or it's illogical or chronologically out of order and we won't remember all of it. However, with her experience This one kind of seems like both, like spirit used this stereotypical image to bring a message. Mm -hmm. So I don't know in this case if it matters if it was spirit or a dream, because I think the message from the dream is still the same. I look at this, and I'd love to hear your perspective, Denise, but I look at this as her guides trying to tell her that she has faced a really big fear in her life. And that something fearful or unnecessary inside of her energetic soul has died. And now she can be reborn again. I think we are reborn again many, many times in our life. And so to me, this is a really positive dream where she's ha-ha laughing at death in the face and saying, I am no longer afraid. I am ready to live my life of truth. I am ready to share my authentic journey. And that's huge because death as an entity, an energy, a stereotype is not a fun loving. (laughs) You don't usually feel like that. Ha ha, let's be friends and buddies. So I think you're spot on with what you're saying. Interestingly, this past week, I had two dreams like back to back one night and then the next night about an old friend of mine and her mother's past, and I dreamt twice about her mother. But then a couple days later, I had a very, very, very vivid dream about this woman. And it, it was someone who was very dear to me for years. We parted ways, you know, life lesson kind of stuff. I was at an event last night, and a woman came up to me and was sharing something about this friend being in crisis. And I thought, was that message coming from her mother? And then the dream of her to let me know that, and then to have this come. I I mean, I know I'm trying to, do I reach out? What do I do? How do I handle this? But I do believe spirit stepped in and intervened. Throughout the dreams, though, there were such vivid, graphic, 
details that were strong symbols that I couldn't miss. So I think you're spot on that there's usually a combination of both. Right. Well, and you know, Asriel is the archangel of death, and many people have reported connecting with him, and he is very loving and jovial and kind, and that he ushers people to the other side with love and an embrace of, you did it, you graduated, let's go. Yes. And I, I've shared this with you, and, and I think on the show before, is that some of us as mediums do actually sense death, and I do. So, and I was telling a friend of mine, I've been sensing death around, and usually it's when someone I know or I'm connected to is going to pass. I felt it with my mother. I felt it with my father. I felt it with a dear friend. It's just, it's a very, very unique, there's nothing else like that feels like it. It's, it's just, it's very, I, I don't even have the words for it fully. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that there's a difference between that energy and the, the angel of death energy. Um, wow, I don't have that ability, but one of my family members does, and she will dream of the person before they pass in her family. Like she's lost, she's an in-law, so she's lost a lot of people in her family, and she will dream of them, or she'll think about them a lot. Like she'll get a thought, I should, I should email them, I should call them, I should go see them. And I'm not even talking, I mean, it's not like, oh, they're in hospice and she dreams that they're going to die. Wow, she's a medium. I, I mean, like unexpected passings. Mm -hmm. She will just know and sense it. So when you say you sense death, is it like that or is it just this No, it's, feeling? It's, I, I sense death as, it feels, it's a unique, it's similar to, you know, when you connect with someone in spirit that you know, like an old friend or a parent or a grandparent, and you know who they are, you feel it, they have a right. unique energy, you know, it's them, you say, oh, hi, that's, it's that kind of a thing. There's no other energy that matches this. And I don't ever know who it's here for, but I always sense it before someone passes that's close to me. Wow, and, that's really neat. Well, it is and it isn't, because then you start freaking yourself out saying, is it, is it my children? Is it my sister? Is it my brother? I mean, you don't know. So, so I'm, I'm working on that of why, why is it so accurate and strong and unique a feeling? What a, because you're not going to say, oh, by the way, you know, you, and I, I always extra protect my children when, when this comes up and, and pray and ask my father and mother to look out for them. And so that's just common sense in the juju world, I think, is calling your your people and ask for protection. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's not anything I would wish on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Would you like to read the next one? Oh, sure. Do we? Have, okay. Wow. It's been long. Um, oh my gosh. You two are amazing. I wish I found you six years ago. We hadn't even found each other six years ago. You truly both come so prepared uh, you complement each other beautifully. You merge traditional psychology with being an empath. You share material from reputable authors that serve to empower. You prove that we don't have to be barefoot, banging drums, and dancing wildly around a fire to be empaths. Okay, well, I have been that person as well, just sharing. Although that, that sounds good to me, especially after some margaritas. God bless you both. I've shared many of your shows with people starting on the path. And I, what I love about this little thing is it doesn't have to be airy-fairy woo-woo. It doesn't have to be banging the drum and dancing the fire. It has to be who you are as an empath and honoring that. 
and there are people in corporate positions that are wearing professional suits that are carrying a briefcase that are just as empathic as someone who is able to communicate with their plants out in the backyard. That is so true. And that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to do this show is to, sh is to just demonstrate that you can be grounded and normal and just an everyday ordinary person and still be an intuitive empath. You don't have to bang on a drum around a fire, although you can if you want. All are welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you guys so much for sharing your questions and your beautiful comments about our show and your stories. If you would like to share a story or a question for our July Community Connections, please email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths. I can be found at samanthafay.com and Denise can be found at thegratefulmessenger.com. And don't forget that our Facebook community is supposed to be a community. So if you have a question that you would like other people to respond to besides just Denise and I, you can always go to our page and post something on there and just say, hey, all listeners, this is a dream I had or this is a weird thing that I experienced. Anyone else have the same? Because that's really our goal with the Facebook page is to continue creating a community of enlightened empaths. So please feel free to do that as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful, beautiful week. Don't forget to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care. <laughs>